This is episode 37 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and joining me tonight are the two biggest Oilers fans in Brazil. They were two of my favorite guests on the podcast last season, Gabriel Canjado and Diego Pontes. Welcome back to the show, guys. Uh, thank you, Eric. It's, it's a pleasure to be here again, and it was a pleasure to be here last time. And, and for sure, let's let's talk about the let's talk about the others. And it's a pleasure also to, to talk with Diego here as well. Good evening, guys. Good evening, Eric. Good evening, Gabriel. So what a pleasure to be back again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and one thing that I learned last season was that there are as many hockey fans in Brazil as there are. Do you both feel that over the past even six months that there are more uh, Oilers fans on Twitter that are learning that there are fans in Brazil now? Um, uh, they are the, the hockey community is getting bigger and bigger uh, every day. Uh, every day I see like some new profile to any other team uh, that's talk only Portuguese and that's great. And even not only with the Oilers, but with the uh, the whole NHL, to be honest. And that's great. Wow, the, com the community has been increasing a lot. You know, lots of new members have come to the group. Gabriel has added lots of people. And we have, we have made this community very bigger, you know. So that is great to have lots of new NHL fans. You know, especially Oilers fans. Yeah, so let's spread this community. Absolutely. Yeah, we, uh, sorry, but we have uh, we have like a WhatsApp group to to talk mm -hmm. about the games, and and when I started, it was like ten people, I think, and every day people get to my DM on Twitter on the at the Montoyers Brazil, and ask me, ah, oh, can I go in? But I don't know a lot about sports. Uh, can I say something? They're like, oh, okay, uh, you. You don't have any problem. A lot of a lot of people uh, don't understand as well. A lot of the sports are just starting with it, and that's great. Every time the Oilers and the NHL is is getting more fans here in Brazil, for sure. And yeah. I think it's great to see hockey growing in uh, non-traditional hockey countries. I mean, we know how big it is in Canada, especially, but across North America and in Europe. But to see uh, hockey fans, I, I have a, a very good friend in Australia who's a big hockey fan, and now to see that there are more fans in South America as well, that's awesome. Oh, definitely. We love to to discuss about hockey. Uh, some Oilers fans, like Gabriel said on the WhatsApp group, they are very passionate. They, they really suffer with some games. We have some anxiety crises sometimes because the games are so tight and score and people get really anxious nervous you know it's nice to see this passion coming from brazilian oilers fans so we it's really fun for sure and, and hopefully both of you will get a chance to come back up to Ed edmonton diego i know that you were in edmonton um before yeah. but but for to see a to see an oilers game with both of you that would be a, a great experience i'm sure oh definitely wow. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't. I wouldn't choose anywhere, uh, anywhere else in in the world to be. If I could, if I could choose one place to go. For sure, it would be the the Rogers place to see some game. Uh, with all of you guys, and with all of the the people that I I talk in the profile as well. 
That's a huge, uh, a huge compliment, I'm sure, for people in Edmonton and for the to hear that you guys want to come to Rogers Place. I think it would almost be uh, the opposite for a lot of people living in the, the cold climate here in Canada. They want to <laughs> escape the winter and, and go to a, a warmer place like Brazil for uh, at least a week. I know that I like to try and get away to uh, a warm climate in the winter if I can, just to uh, take a little break from the minus 40 weather. And I know, Diego, you would have uh, experienced that uh, during your year living in Edmonton. Oh, yeah. Don't tell me about it. That was damn cold, you know, but I made it. <laughs> if we can say that, you know, the, the weather was really hard to deal to uh, to live, you know, so I had to get used it, uh, for a couple of weeks to, to this kind of weather. It wasn't easy, but at the end of the day, it was really pleasant to have a different weather. So maybe you can feel the same when you come to Brazil. A yeah, different for sure. experience. Well, it, I mean, it gets really hot here in the summer too, but I can only imagine it gets even hotter down there. Um, Gabrielle, would you like to experience the snow as well? No, for sure. I always say that uh, I covered a hockey team and I've never seen snow in my whole life. <laughs> Yeah. And I've never skated on ice. That's a, like a huge dream. And if I could choose, I would go to Edmonton like in, in January, February, like in, when it is when it is like minus four degrees the most cold <laughs> I can see. Um, just just to be different because here here I live in a cold area in Brazil that reaches I don't know zero degrees on the winter and four degrees on the summer. So it's not really 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 cold. Would would be nice. To see some some different weather for sure well look i'm really excited to have all three of us together for an episode you guys were both very uh great guests last year both very popular episodes and we've got a, a couple games to break down tonight but before we get into that i just want to ask you how much more enjoyable has it for you guys to, to watch games with fans back at rogers place again diego i'll go to you first Oh, okay. So it was really enjoyable. I really like it to see fans back and and the stands. You know, uh, see lots of uh, people so passionate. You know, motivating the team, uh, singing along. So it was really nice. I love it, and I'm pretty sure the the players also enjoyed as well. They they spoke on interviews. They said how great it was to have the fans back. And the fans were like an extra fuel for them during the games. And this is great. Uh, we have one of the most passionate fan bases in the NHL. So having these fans back at Rogers Place was a really nice experience for me. I really like it to see. And I hope it to see the Rogers Place crowded like full. Um, yeah, we, we had almost the full capacity, but maybe because of COVID and some other restrictions, I don't know, uh, the fans weren't in full capacity. But it was nice to have uh, lots of fans back. I, I really like it. I like the noise that comes from the, the crowd. Uh, I like to hear them cheering when a, a goal is scored. It's really cool. Uh, it's 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 a different experience. It's a different feeling. It makes the game even more exciting, in my opinion. Right, and I think that it was reported that there were about fourteen thousand two hundred fans at the 
the first game against the Canucks. So probably about 4,000 empty seats, but I'm sure COVID did play a part in that. Um, but as the season goes on, I would expect that they'll be closer to full capacity. And uh, Gabrielle, uh, how much better has it been for you to watch hockey with fans back in the building? No, it seems like uh, almost another sport, uh, hockey without fans and hockey with fans. As, as Diego said, uh, Edmonton has a marvelous fan base. Like It was really awesome to, to watch the, the games with the, the crowd cheering when a goal is scored, when the sirens ringing and everyone celebrating, mostly in the Battle of Alberta as well. That's, it is a more exciting game to the, to the crowd, but, but it was really great to see to see the crowd back and uh, and the players also felt that and uh, we can have the that home advantage that just just at the mountain gave to us definitely and you know when i think back to all the great moments from last season and of course none more special than connor mcdavid scoring his 100th point in 53 games it's a real shame that there weren't fans in the building for those nights and, and I know they tried to pump in fake crowd noise on the TV broadcast, but it, it's just not the same as actually having a packed house to celebrate those goals and those wins with the team. And Diego, I agree with you. I think the players really feed off the energy for the fans. You can just see, <clears throat> you can see how excited they are. Like when McDavid scored his, uh, his second goal against the Flames the other night. I don't know if I saw him that excited for a goal all of last season. So just... Having the fans back, I think, makes such a difference. It adds so much atmosphere to the game. Uh, so as great as it was that the Oilers have started the season with a couple wins against their biggest rivals, having fans back is almost equally exciting for me. Yeah, absolutely. I loved the atmosphere. And see your captain, our captain, McDavid, so happy and excited after a game like that. It it, it, it really shows that he really cares about the team. He cares about the fans. And he's not hes not a vanilla guy like some other people used to say, you know. He has, he has feelings and he really cares about the sport. He cares about the fans, the crowd. And this really brings a different fuel for the players. You know, we, we know that Zach Cassian needs the the crowd to feed off him and right. I, I suppose other players also feel the same and it's great when you have your fans next to you you have the players excited you have the players uh really happy about the score a player a, a play i'm sorry you know when they scored it's really cool yeah it it it, it transmits this emotion to us, you know, who are watching the game, we also get excited. We go, we go with them, you know, so it's Definitely. really cool. And uh, let's talk about those wins now, starting with the home opener last Wednesday, where the Oilers unfortunately squandered a two-goal lead late in the third period, but still managed to earn a 3-2 shootout win over the Vancouver Canucks. Kyle Turris scored the shootout winner in the fifth round. Were you surprised that Dave Tippett picked Turris to shoot instead of some of their other maybe more skilled forwards? Gabrielle, uh, how would you start things off? Uh, well, when I uh, when I saw Turris, I, I was surprised as anyone, I think. But I don't know, I catch some of the, the other ones who, who were in the shootouts. And 
Well, I think uh, Jessica Euturis uh, was better than Pugliari, for example, or even Zach Hyman, who didn't went to the shootout. And he delivered. He won the game for us. So uh, anything that was passing on Dave Tippett's mind works. Work it in, and we, we could go out with the win. And as you said, like the, in the crowd, for example, in that first game, it was like clear the difference when the when Hyman scored his first goal with the, the happiness on Hyman and Dreisaitl uh, and when Pugliarvi scored in that game like the that celebration that this fame was in there it was like really great to see them it really feels like they they are happy with with the team with the crowd with everything for sure and uh, Diego did you expect to see Turris in the shootout Oh, not at all. To be honest with you, I would, I would think that they would go with Ferlini because he had a great shootout performance against Seattle Kraken, if I'm not mistaken, right? So there was a shootout presentation, and then Ferlini scored such a big goal. You know, a beautiful goal, by by the way. So I was expecting him to to have that shootout. But when they said Kyle Turris, I was like. What? You know, I'm not <laughs> expecting that. Uh, but for my surprise and all the Oilers fans, it was a beautiful girl and it gave us the win. But yes, I wasn't expecting for him. You know, I just remembered that there was a game against Vancouver that was decided on a shoot shootout a few years ago. I don't know if it was last season, but Alex Jason scored the game winning goal. And it was a shootout, uh, actually. But I'm not sure uh, which year, which year uh, it was. No, but it was something unexpected. Nobody was expecting for Alex Jason to score at that time. And then we had this year Kyle Turris. So, a, a very weird decision, but I'm glad it worked out. Right, well... You know, coming into training camp, there were no guarantees that Turris was even going to make the Oilers. But he, he played fairly well in the preseason. And then, of course, he cleared waivers just days before the home opener. So I was really happy to see him score the game-winning goal. It was probably the biggest goal he scored in a long time and definitely the most important goal he scored as an Oiler. And I just like the way he kind of opened up his stick blade to get Thatcher Demko to make the first move. And then he quickly went five-hole. Um, and, and, you know, according to Bruce McCurdy of the Cult of Hockey, Turris is now 29 for 78 in his career on shootout attempts, which is a 37.2% success rate. So he has a, a history of scoring in the shootout. And I think he's definitely a player that, <clears throat> that Tippett can feel confident using whenever the Oilers get into the shootout this season. Absolutely. All right. Let's uh, talk. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no problem. It's just because uh, it's good to see Turvis having the uh, that role on the team. Like uh, I think he he was the best player in those two games with McLeod and Perlini. But it's good, it's good um, to see Kyle Turvis getting better and better each time. Yeah, yeah. He had a bit of a disappointing season last year, and it was his first year in Edmonton. So he he needed a bounce back year, and yeah. I, I think a lot of people thought that he would be spending this year in the AHL. So the fact that he's stuck with the roster out of training camp and was able to get a big goal early in the season. That should give him some confidence, I think, for the rest of the season. Yeah, Bob Stafford also said that he was in a great shape and that he had 
been working the whole summer in Edmonton to get in shape and try to make the team. So this uh, this tells a lot about his character and commitment to the game. At least this season, we can see his efforts, you know, paying off. I hope he becomes even better as the season goes on. Let's hope oh, for the best. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. All right, let's uh, let's talk about the Oilers' top line now. And this is always a hotly debated topic in oil country, but Tippett decided before the season to put Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl together on the same line. Do you think putting the two most dominant offensive players in the league on the same line could be a long-term solution for the Oilers, or would you rather see McDavid and Dreisaitl on separate lines? Gabrielle, what do you think? <laughs> uh, well, uh, me, I think Diego and any, anyone else, a lot of others fans were against this, this decision of, of Tippett of putting Dreisar and McDavid, mostly because Zach Hyman, uh, he came to be the, the left winger of the first line with McDavid, and then putting him on the second line uh, with Nugent Hopkins and, and Yamamoto and passing Nugent to the center position wasn't something that in theory on the paper it would work but as we as we saw in the in the first two games it worked pretty well i i think he will keep going with it but he would have tried have time to to adjust but i was against it in the when i saw in the first way in the end of the the preseason but it's good that's working it's good that's working and i was against um, it the the first line the, the first line for example i thought that keith and cc on defense weren't pretty great as well and is working too but it's good to see to see that the the practice line is, is really working on on the when it's for for real in the in the ice and diego do you think mcdavid and dry should play together or apart did we lose diego I think so. I would I would ask it the same thing. It it was the 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 question that I was more excited to hear about him, and then <laughs> we lost him. I was like uh, when I read, I just thought, oh, Diego. I had to hear Diego because as like me, he was against it with all of his strength. But it but says he's still on the call, so we're gonna try and bring him back. Yeah. I don't know. Let me see if he, if he sent a message. It was on Twitter, but but he he will be back. I think. Uh, maybe I should. Yeah, then. Let's see. Do we still I don't know. He didn't send anything. It says I'll, I'll be, be back. back. Okay, yeah, right we got now, a message so. from. Um, I'm thinking we should stop recording for a second and we'll just pick it up again and we'll edit it together. Okay, sir. No, it's our okay. call. It's better okay. for you. I'm, I'm going to hold on there for one second, okay? Okay. Okay. Uh, oh, guys, can you hear oh. me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's back. We got him. Okay, uh, my microphone went off for some reason here. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but we, we, we can continue. Okay? No problem. I'll just pick it up right where we left off then. Uh, Diego, do you think McDavid and Dreisaitl should play together or apart? Oh, my. Uh, it's like Gabriel <laughs> said. You know, Gabriel had, uh, gave us a perfect answer, and he, I agree with him. Uh, I, I'm not... I'm not the 
biggest fan of this line, you know, to be honest with you, I would rather have them in separate lines because I think we have a more balanced lineup and Dry Saddle is such a power forward and he can bring lots of toughness and balance to a line that has Skylar Yamamoto that is that has been struggling, you know, and Let's imagine Nugent Hopkins on his wing would be perfect. We could try to have two powered lines, you know, and bring uh, Zach Hyman to the first line would make this team even more dangerous. So I'm still against, you know, putting them together. And I don't know if I will be in favor of (laughs) this line. But as long as it keeps working, so I'm okay with that. But to be honest with you, I would rather have new Jonah Wing and Dry Saddle on the, I mean, centering the second line. It worked so much better. And I'm really hoping that this line may click again. You know, the dry line may at some point of this season be together and start to click again. Oh my gosh, that would be something, you know? Because we know that the McDavid and Pugliarvi combo has been working tremendously well. But imagine having the second line scoring at a good rate, having so much power. This would be a nice thing to hear. It's like having Messier and Gretzky on the same line. So I'm <laughs> not in favor of that. <laughs> Great example. Uh, w- yeah. We've been discussing, I've been having lots of talk with some with some Oilers fans on Twitter and they say, oh, why not to keep this line? It's working. Well, I tend to disagree, but yeah, <laughs> each one I of mean, us have a different opinion, right? So... Yeah, and you you could say that McDavid is the modern Gretzky, Drysidle is the modern Messier. Let's hope that Pugliarvi develops into the modern Yari Curry. Oh, and, yeah. And I, I think for the Oilers to become a true Stanley Cup contender, McDavid and Drysidle need to be driving their own lines. And I think we will see them on separate lines at some point this season. However, the Oilers have a fairly light schedule in October, They only play seven games in 19 days uh, from the start of the season. And six of those games are against non-playoff teams from last season. So I think Tippett's strategy is to load up his top line because McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Pugliarvi have more than enough offensive talent to overwhelm the opposition. And then as long as your other three lines can play solid defensively and chip in here and there. The Oilers should get off to a strong start this year. But my ideal top six would be Hyman, McDavid, and Pugliarvi on the first line, and that allows them to reunite Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, and Yamamoto on the second line. Yeah. I have the, the same opinion. I have, we, we, we played well the first two games, but I, I think we can play... Um, even better with the this formation. But as I said, in theory, this works with Hyman being the left winger on the first line. But if it's working with Dreisaitl and McDavid and with the, the relation, I saw a lot of interviews and Dreisaitl uh, was uh, making some jokes, kidding about the, the one-timer that McDavid has and McDavid yeah. uh, <laughs> makes some responses. Yeah. And we can see that they, they, are, they have a good relationship with it. They are like comfortable with that's the most important i think like uh, in theory 
I think Hyman would uh, should be there. But if it's working, if the players are happy, if we, we can get some wins, the, that's great for me. That's the, the most important thing. Yeah, I Absolutely. agree with Gabriel. And then just just to uh, mention something, I don't know if you remember, but when we had on the playoffs in 2017, there were three lines with Nuge, McDavid, and Dry Saddle, each one of them centering a line. I don't know if it lasted for a lot, lots of games, but I remember there was a game and it worked really well. We had three solid lines and the three centers were McDavid on the first, Dry Saddle mm -hmm. on the second one, and Nuge on the third line. Oh, no. well, Although they were I, very young, it worked really well, you know? It's not the ideal nowadays, but it's just one information, you know, that I would like to bring back to this topic as we were yeah. talking about having solid lines. I think that McDavid and Dry Saddle started the playoffs playing together, but... If I remember correctly, they got blown out in San Jose one game. And after that, or, or maybe it was against Anaheim. And after that, they, they separated McDavid and Dreisaitl, put them on set, on different lines. And that's when the Oilers really started to take over that game. So we've seen this at times over the last five years, periods of time where they've played together and periods of time where they've played apart. Um, and like I've already mentioned, I think for them to reach their ultimate goal, they do need to be centering the top two lines. And Nugent Hopkins has the versatility where he can either be used as a center or a winger. Right now, he's being the second line center because the dynamic duo are together. But if a guy like Dylan Holloway makes the team in the next year and he becomes a top six left winger, that will then allow the Oilers to shift Nugent Hopkins back to third line center if they want. And then you could have the McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins trio down the middle. So there's there's going to be these these different options down the road. But as for right now, I think that what they're doing is working. Uh, yeah, for sure. It's just like the second game of the season. So we have a lot of things to to see in the future but yeah we have uh, for sure we have like 82 games in this season and we have a lot of other other teams to play and not just the, the canadian ones so we have a lot of uh, a lot of times that we can we can give it a shot to dress and mcdavid to keep going or we can put him on the first line and it's great it's great to think that uh, dylan holloway can make it like he has the potential the, to to do it in the future and it it would be great to see to see like a, even a third line strong but as i said the first line is working pretty well the second line is is good with hyman Yuji, and yamamoto but it's not like in the stats doesn't have a lot of like goals and assists um, uh, so far it would be great to see the first and the second line and even the third line strong yeah. For sure. All right. I want to get your thoughts now on who stood out to you in the home opener last week. Uh, Diego, which players really impressed you in the Oilers' 3-2 win over the Canucks? Uh, I, I would go with Ivan Bouchard again because he has been so far a very reliable defenseman and he could be a very nice fit to Darnell Nurse. Because, I don't know, maybe Tyson Berry would work better on a third pairing at this point. You know, it's too offensive, the defense. And I think even Bouchard, maybe, uh, maybe he brings more stability for 
the defense. They didn't play to, uh, this much time together on the first game, but he impressed me with his game, you know, and he's a very poised defenseman. He likes to move the, pu the puck. He likes to shoot. He's, he's not afraid of shooting the puck. I love that. And uh, he really impressed me as, uh, as it was just the first game. I really liked his performance. And I really liked Hyman, too. Hyman was amazing. He's such a workhorse. He works really hard on the puck. Uh, he forward checks a lot. I really like this kind of dedication and commitment that he has. And he, br he brought such a great game for the second line. No, he was one of the highlights of that second line on the first game. So I would say that even Bouchard and Hyman were the most uh, impactful players, for, in my opinion, on that first game. I really liked they, their game, and I hope they keep improving. They keep getting even better, you know? They would be the recipe for our success as well. You know? Definitely. And uh, Gabriel, who do you think were the Oilers' best players in the first game? Uh, I have to agree with Diego, like Bouchard played pretty well. Uh, Diego, uh, Diego is the biggest Bouchard fan I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> yes. uh, not, don't get me wrong, like I'm not joking, I make funny. Bouchard pretty, pretty great. But long time ago, he just talked good things about, about Evan Bouchard. Like <laughs> if Evan listened to it, he gave, should give something to Diego because it's years <laughs> and years that he, he speak about, about Evan Bouchard. But yeah, Bouchard was great in the, the first games. Like um, Zach Hyman, he, he played pretty well. He scored in the first in the first game. He he showed that he is an awesome player. Like if uh, if I would if I if I was a Maple Leaf fan, let me like knock on the wood three times for saying it. <laughs> um, I would be I would be really regret to to see it going because Zach Hyman is great. But besides that, uh, Pulu Yarvin played really great in the both games, but in the in the home opener. And I I like it to see the the second defensive line of Keith and Sissi that I wasn't expecting anything for him was like with really bad bad expectations with really bad feelings but after the the beginning they were pretty great and and i loved as well as the they have la bamba as the as the win song so that's yeah. really really great that's can that can push the crowd that can push the players that can be like something that we can use it to to reach really further yeah, and I, I should have even mentioned that. For anyone who doesn't know, the Oilers played La Bamba as their victory song uh, in honor of the late, great Joey Moss, who passed away uh, one year ago. Uh, coming up on the one-year anniversary, actually, on October 26th. So uh, the longtime locker room attendant of the Edmonton Oilers for mm. 35 years and um, just a, a great role model, not only for people with mental disabilities, just but uh, a legend in the city of Edmonton. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and here's the thing. Look, on most nights, it's going to be McDavid and Dreisaitl stealing the show. But I think Zach Hyman was Edmonton's best player in the home opener. He was noticeable every time he stepped on the ice. He has good speed. He loves to get it on the forecheck. He won a puck battle behind the net early in the game, and he made a nice pass out into the slot to Yamamoto, who just didn't put it home. 
Um, his line, his line with Nugent Hopkins and Yamamoto was strong defensively. Uh, and, and most importantly, he scored his first goal as an Oiler, as well as Edmonton's first power play goal of the season. And I think he's going to score a lot more goals in that spot, uh, not just this year, but over the next seven years. So overall, it was a very impressive debut for Hyman. And I think he's going to quickly become a fan favorite in oil country if he isn't one already. And uh, the other player who I thought had an excellent night was Jesse Pugliarvi. And even though he was playing with two Hart Trophy winners on his line, Pugliarvi was the best player on that unit. I mean, uh, obviously, he he scored the Oilers' first goal of the season, but he also had six shots on net. He was using his size and long reach to extend plays in the offensive zone all night. Uh, and when Pugliarvi parks himself in front of the net, it's almost impossible for opposing defensemen to try and move him. So I expect he'll get a lot of points in that net front role on the power play this year, too. And last season, we, we, we started to see him take a, a big step in his development. And he really established himself as a top six forward. But this year, I think he's going to elevate his game even further and become a star in the league. Um, yeah, no, um, Poliarvi is surpressing any, any expect. We have like really, really big expectations to expectative to to him but he is really, really like saying that he deserves a place on the on a first line that has Leon Dreisaitl and McDavid and Zach Hyman has everything to be a fan favorite to to be great for many many years and that's which we uh, another one that played pretty well I think is Darnell Nurse on the defense he had a a time on ice it was more than 32 minutes I think mm -hmm. and he played played pretty well I would like to say We'll give a shout out to to Darnell as well, and and even Mike Smith. To be honest, he had a lot of defenses, a, a great save percentage, and the defense is playing pretty well. Like uh, in the the forwards, we knew that would be would be easy to watch. It wouldn't be a lot of problems. But the defense, it was like surprising me in a positive way. For sure, and and the thing is, you don't want to critique a win too much, but. You know, I think that in that game, they, there were little things that they, they could have improved on. Uh, was there anything that you didn't like in this game? Gabrielle, what do you think? Um, I don't know. Um, Tyson Barry didn't, I didn't like in the first game, to be honest. He had, um, he, he didn't play like in the, uh, you can see that Darnell Nurse was conducting the, the whole defense with him. But uh, in and the second goal, the the goal that can, the Canucks tied it, I think it was a defensible puck. I didn't I didn't expect it to be to be on the net. I saw the 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 in the transmission they asked like how how did the puck got in? I thought that Mike Smith could uh, have made it the the save, but I think it it, it was a win. I can we can say. We can say it was pretty bad, but besides Barry, I think um, Chris Russell didn't play pretty well. That's why QQ uh, got the got in the second game against the Flames. But uh, uh, to sum up, I think it was it was a pretty uh, good game. And Diego, were there any bad moments that stuck out to you? Oh, I agree with Gabriel. You know, Chris Russell and Barry didn't impress me at all. They they had a poor performance. No, uh, but I would say that Chris Russell, we expect him to be like that, mm -hmm. you know, we don't expect much from him. He's a 
reliable defenseman. Uh, sometimes he makes some poor plays, but yeah, you can expect that. Well, Tyson Berry resigned with the Oilers. Uh, we're pumped to have him back. Lots of fans didn't like the trade I liked. Uh, actually, I liked the deal. I didn't think it was like, oh, something that would hurt the Oilers long term, but I really liked it. And I think he had a, a great deal in his hands. But yeah, about his play, he didn't play good enough. And I didn't like much, but I expect him to be better. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. The next games. It, it might not have been Barry's best game, but he had a slow start last year as well. And obviously he took off from there and ended up leading the league in points by a defenseman. And I think we know that he's not the the best defensively. And and for Chris Russell, it's the opposite. You expect him to be solid defensively, but he's not going to give you much at the other end of the ice. Um, the, the only things I really didn't like in this game were that the Oilers took a late penalty that led to a power play goal against, and, and that Mike Smith let in a pretty weak goal with under three minutes on the clock. But other than that, he played well all night. He made a spectacular yeah, yeah. save in overtime to send the game to a mm-hmm. shootout. So uh, you can't really you can't really fault him too much for that. He was he was one of the Oilers' best players. So yeah. let's move on to Saturday night's game now. And as an Oilers fan, it doesn't get any better than watching Edmonton beat Calgary on Hockey Night in Canada. And that's exactly what happened over the weekend as the Oilers picked up a five-two victory in the Battle of Alberta, highlighted by Connor McDavid scoring a hat trick and Mike Smith making forty-five saves. What can you say about the performances of McDavid and Smith? Uh, Diego, go ahead. Oh, Smith was very solid. I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, I really like Schmitty, and I used to call him that way. I, I also play with some people, you know, I also joke. It's not Smith, it's Schmitty, because it sounds much better. <laughs> uh, it's really fun to, to call him this way. And he's very passionate about the game, you know. He has shown that he still has uh, lots of love and fuel left, you know. We, we can see that he's committed, he wants to win, he believes in this group. After each win, you can see McDavid, he's very excited to give him a hug. Uh, they seem to have a very nice relationship, and I like, I like his passion, his commitment for the game. And I was really impressed with his performance. He just let in two goals. Off a total of 46 shots? Was that? 42 shots? I don't recall right now. Uh, he, he stopped 45 out of 47 shots. 47, yeah. Thank you for that. Exactly. Wow, that's a very strong performance. That's not what we want to hear. No, no one wants your team getting uh, 47 shots against. Of right. course not, but... He went big that game, and we we just won that game because we had Smith protecting all those shots, and we, of course, have our biggest play in the world, Connor McDavid. I really like it. Connor, you, you can't say uh, much about Connor because he's the GOAT. He has been the GOAT, actually. 
uh, it, it's really cool to see him playing and to see him scoring goals and improving other skills like the one-timer uh, he's trying to develop now so the opponent should be worried because uh, our monster in a good way of course has been developing another weapon right. and it might be even more dangerous it was a great game a great atmosphere lots of uh uh fire let's say you know between the two teams lots of fights that kind of rage uh, and it's great to watch a game like this. Uh, I really like it. Uh, overall, the team was good, but the Smith and McDavid they were outstanding in my in my eyes. For sure. And uh, Gabriel, how impressed were you with McDavid and Smith on Saturday night? Oh, starting with Mike Smith. Uh, no, I was really, really impressed. Like uh, McDavid was. Uh, um, uh, he helped a lot. He was a major role on the win. But I think without Mike Smith, we we wouldn't have won the, this Battle of Alberta. He was great, like 45 saves on 47, 47 shots on goal. And I don't know. Uh, I love Mikko Koskinen. I support him as well to be better, to go back to the team. But it's really good to see that Mike Smith is our is our goalie right now, our first first goalie. And it's good to see that Shimidi is also really, really happy with it. He's playing pretty well at 39 years old. Uh, when they signed him for a multi-year deal uh, for two years, I was like pretty worried about his age. Mm -hmm. And if it was like just a one season, because he played pretty, pretty well last season, but he's showing everyone that he, he can play well for another season and even better, to be honest. And Conor McDavid just loves to score about the Flames. He just Battle of Alberta is made for him. Like it was, it's so good to see that the best play, the best hockey player on earth, like really uh, is outstanding. He plays even better when we are facing the Calgary Flames. Like it's, it's really, really great to see. The, it's good to see like a hat trick in the second game against the Flames. It can couldn't be any better than that. But I'm. Really, a lot of except X. Uh, sorry, a lot of. I hope to see that Cornell McDavid just do what he's better, his best at. That he just keep playing great, and Max Smith, who that he can keep going with it because he, uh, with him, like we we can go, we can go further than than we can we. We are going in the in the past seasons, and there is a a, a, a famous uh, way of line way of saying in Brazil that uh, that says that a, a great team starts with a great goalie, and Max Smith can be Ooh. the this great goalie. That's a good saying, and you know, uh, nine players had at least a point for the Oilers in the win over the Flames, so it was great to see the depth scoring chipping in as well, even if they were just assists. Um, you know, and, and of course, Dreisaitl and Pugliarvi had three points each. But just like so many nights last season, McDavid was on another level in this game. Uh, he recorded his 10th career hat-trick and third career hat-trick against the Flames. Mm -hmm. He also scored a goal in each period, including his first one-timer goal in the NHL, which we found out after the game. Uh, now, normally, he's the one feeding Dreisaitl with the tape-to-tape cross-ice pass on the power play. but. 
McDavid has been really working on his one-timer in practice lately, and obviously it paid off with the game-winning goal. Um, and that's what great players do. They never stop trying to get better. I, I mean, McDavid is already the best player in the world. You called him the GOAT uh, earlier, but uh, uh, I, I still think Gretzky is the, the greatest of all time. But McDavid in this era is definitely um, a, a cut above everyone else. And he, he's still looking to become more dangerous offensively which is going to be scary for the rest of the league considering he already uh, is he won the scoring title by 21 points last year and and to make the night even more memorable McDavid also recorded his 578th career NHL point passing Doug Waite for 7th on the Oilers all-time scoring list and uh, you know he he's picked up right where he left off last year and I think we're I, I think he's going to have a season for the ages and we're all pretty lucky that we get to watch it Uh, yeah, for sure. Like in a uh, hundred and a hundred and five points in fifty-six games in the last mm-hmm. in the last season. Like unbelievable. You can, you, you can feel that he's pumped up with a season with eighty-two games and and a possibility, a real great, a real possibility of going to the playoffs in the in this Pacific division. And it's great to see. Like uh, as Ray Sido said, it's it's fluffy as um, the the first <laughs> line uh, as they were right now. And it's great to see like Dreisaitl as well. He had a hat trick of assists in the in the game. It was really really great. Uh, Espluyarvi that scored and and gave two assists as well. But right. but it's great to see McDavid. Like uh, he's only 24 and he's at that level. You know, like the it's because un, it's uh, we can discuss that he isn't the the best player right now on on NHL and in on the world and. The, f- the future is like it's pretty, it's pretty bright to to Edmond and to Connor McDavid. Absolutely. And you, know, and you know, as for Mike Smith, I, I agree with what you guys said before. He had another very strong performance as well. I I think the Oilers allowed way too many shots in this game, but Smith looked sharp all night. Um, he stopped Andrew Mangiapane on a breakaway in, uh, earlier in the game, and despite being 39 years old. He's uh, he stopped 81 out of 85 shots through the first two games this season. And that's that's pretty impressive. And, and like we like we talked about earlier, I mean, uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl playing together uh, because of the lighter schedule. They have the they have the opportunity to do that. And I think that Tippett will also do the same thing with Smith. Um, you know, he should easily be able to play six out of seven games this month as well. Um, uh, Tippett's already announced that Smith is going to be the starter tomorrow against the Ducks. Mm-hmm. I would give Koskin in the start uh, against the Coyotes on Thursday, and then you save Smith for Vegas on Friday. But uh, yeah, all in all, very impressive uh, showing from Mike Smith so far. He's he's really just picked up right where he left off last year too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, just an interesting fact. Uh, I would I would like to apologize myself when I said that. Mike David is the goat. Maybe he's the recent goat no, I mean, we have. <laughs> no, not the absolute one. Well, I mean, here's the thing. You could argue that he is the most talented hockey player of all time. Uh, I still believe Mario Lemieux is the most talented player the game has ever seen. Wayne Gretzky is the greatest, You could, and Mario Lemieux is the most talented. But Connor McDavid, his combination of size, speed, smarts, skill... Uh, these are things that we've never seen before. 
all in one player. So in that sense, yeah, he might be the most talented player of all time. And just to know that he has been in the NHL for like seven seasons. Yeah, this is his seventh year now. His seventh year, and just in two seasons, he had like less than 100 points on his first season when he got 48 and got hurt, right? And on 1920 season, when he scored like 97 points. Oh my yeah. gosh, that's pretty impressive for a player like him. So we we have to be really happy about having McDavid playing for the Oilers because he's, oh, yeah. he has been uh, a gift, you know, from the hockey gods. <laughs> well, <laughs> they I have mean, blessed us again. Yeah, because none of us were around during the Oilers' glory days in the 1980s when Gretzky was winning the scoring title by... 60, 70 points every year, and the Oilers were uh, perennial Stanley Cup champions. But we are getting to see McDavid's career from the very start, and I'm hoping that even if the Oilers don't win five cups in seven years like the 80s Oilers did, I'm hoping that the Oilers are going to have a great decade of hockey in the 2020s, just like they did during the 1980s. Absolutely. It's going to be and, uh, really exciting. Uh, for sure. And aside from McDavid and Smith, did anyone else have an outstanding game in your eyes? Uh, Gabrielle, we'll start with you. Uh, I like that Derek Ryan scored a goal against the Flames. Mm -hmm. Like he, he didn't have like a great game, but it was really great to see Derek Ryan um, uh, scoring. Uh, Pulujarvi played great. Like he played really, really well against the Canucks and against the Flames. Like the when the when the game was. Three, three, two. I think that the the Flames had scored the second goal, like in nice spot, like in the first chance that Bulyarvi had uh, with a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. He was like clutching, buried it, making four two, and then McDavid just uh, scored the hat trick. And the that's way to see. Uh, as I said, like uh, Duncan Keith and Cody Ceci, I think played pretty well. Ceci had one assist. In, uh, in the Pugliardi goal, that was great to see. Um, and that's it. And for sure, Max Smith, that is talk a lot about it. And and the hat-trick of assists of, of Dreisaitl that most people don't don't see like uh, as important. But but Leon Dreisaitl is playing pretty well, even if he, he didn't score the goal. Mm -hmm. And Diego, who else was a top performer for the Oilers, uh, in your opinion? I agree with Gabriel, but I would add only Warren Fogel because I really liked his game and the balance he brought to the third line. We needed that. We need a, uh, needed a very solid third line, uh, a line that's not afraid of go to the boards and forward checks. And Warren Fogel provides that. He really drives that line with Derek Ryan and he makes Cassian uh play the kind of game that that he suited for and i really liked uh, his performance against calgary uh we needed a winger like that so i agree with uh gabriel i i think the the names that he pointed uh he mentioned uh really had a solid game impressed a lot i would also add even Bouchard again because <laughs> during the final minutes of the game he was paired with Darno Nurse and he held the fort and they they played uh, 
Bouchard played a big quantity of uh, penalty, penalty minutes, right? He was on the penalty kill, and he played very solid. So they they really impressed me, these two players, Bouchard and Fogo. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention Fogo and, and the Cassian as well. Like he he gave an, uh, he has an assist, if I'm not wrong, but he he did what he his best at doing. That he put like some some battle of Alberta feelings. He he wasn't like with Kachuk as he is always, but he he has some a lot of a lot of a lot of talk with Zadarov. I think that the, really that the player that that Flames player wasn't playing uh, the greatest game of his life and Cassian made a huge huge hole at it and Bouchard he made a um, he made a good save as a defensive with bear, with nurse sorry and also had to had to agree with you Bouchard is is really great and he it's it's good to see him uh, playing with Darnell nurse definitely and uh, I, I think I mean, everyone you named is a is a good candidate to be picked as a standout yeah. performer. But uh, I think it's 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 hard to not go with someone like Drysaitel or Puliyarvi just because they were such key players in the victory. But I'm going to go with Darnell Nurse. You know, he emerged as a number one defenseman last season, and yeah. after signing a massive contract in mm-hmm. August, the expectations are even higher than ever before for him. But he just continues to become more of a difference maker at both ends of the ice every night it seems like um he has two points in two games so far including the assist on mcdavid's game-winning goal against the flames he's played more than 27 minutes in both games uh uh gabriel you mentioned i, I believe earlier that yeah. he had played uh o- over 32 minutes in the yeah first i have he's 32 and 24 seconds to be exact yeah so between the two games he's played almost an hour of ice time which is a huge amount of minutes to play and i think that right now he's in the conversation as a top 10 defenseman in the league if you look at the norris trophy voting last year he finished seventh and really i think he deserved to be higher than that so i'm going to go with nurse as my other top performer yeah absolutely i agree Uh, nurse nurse has been has been a very solid defenseman for us and this is great news because this allows the other defensemen to be more offensive it's yeah. like duncan keith you know he's yeah, been keith, very keith reliable these two games yeah and keith wasn't brought in to be the a big offensive producer i mean he's not the player he was five years ago but if he can you know have that veteran leadership that big game experience um, be a mentor to some younger guys like Evan Bouchard and, and be solid defensively, then he, he might not live up to the contract that he has, but at least he can be a valuable part of this team. Um, no, yeah, for sure. And it's good to see that Nurse has a lot of pressure with the massive contract that he has signed with the Oilers and that he he was meant to be, he had this massive contract to be the leader of the the other's defense because uh, right. it's good to see that with Nurse and the the experience that Keith has, even if he he isn't like uh, the the same player that he was five years ago, even more than that. And it was a game that the Flames had almost fifteen shots on goal more than than the Oilers, so the defense uh, had a, had to play pretty pretty well to to make sure that the Oilers had uh, the Oilers go out with the win. 
Oh, for sure. And, and there, of course, Darnell's such a great skater as well. He can be used in overtime. Like you said, he can be on the, the penalty kill or the power play, depending on where you need him. And as valuable as McDavid and Dreisaitl are to this team, Nurse is almost equally valuable because if he ever got hurt, that would be such a hole in the lineup for them to try to fill. I, I'm not sure that they would be able to have an internal solution. Like they, uh, I, I would guess that Philip Broberg would get called up. But you're talking about a guy who is just turned 20 years old and has never played a game in the NHL, having to step in and and fill in a spot for Darnell Nurse. Well, but what about Dmitry Samurukov? Samurukov, he, I don't know how to injured. pronounce his name. He he broke <laughs> his jaw a couple of weeks ago in the rookie camp game. Yeah, so yeah. He he won't be cleared to play until November, and I mean, I I could see them calling Broberg up if there ever was an injury uh, on the left side, but with with Cuckoo and um, and Russell there, they would probably just have both of those guys in the lineup instead of just having them trade out because that's where I sort of feel like the third pairing left side is going to go this year. It'll be just uh, swapping in and out of. Uh, of Russell and Cuckoo. Uh, and yeah, I think they, they will keep going with Cuckoo and Russell in that spot. They, they have a small cough that is injured, as I said. Uh, they put Ledgeson as well. Um, uh, they scratched him. That I think he is a, he is a candidate, uh, candidate for the for the spot on third line. But I don't know, Cuckoo? Played, played pretty well. It not, was not not like the 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 best the best game of his career, but but I like to see Cuckoo. I prefer Cuckoo to Russell, to be honest. Like right now, but I think we mm-hmm. but we have a, a lot of options like with with Ladison, for example, and Samorukov when he got back, he got back, and Broberg, as I said, like we we have a lot of people, a lot of a lot of candidates fighting for the the spot on the third defensive line. For sure. All right, let's move on now to some predictions for the Oilers. And this is something I always enjoy doing. The last couple of years, um, I've done predictions before the regular season and the playoffs on the podcast. And it'll, it'll be fun to look back in six months and see how close we were. Did we get a lot of these predictions right? Were we wrong on a lot of them? And uh, I think, of course, we have to start with talking about the captain and the best player in the world, Connor McDavid. So I want to ask both of you, how many goals and points do you think McDavid will score this season? Diego, you go first. What's your prediction? Uh, I start first. So I'm going to say that McDavid will score 192 points, you know. 192. Yeah, that sounds a very bold prediction, but I believe in him. I think it's doable because we have uh, a very, very overpowered first line. So uh, I don't think this is too far away from well, happening, you know. But I, I mean, would say that he's 205 right now after two games. <laughs> so uh, that that'll be a hard pace to keep up, as we both know. Gretzky is the only player to ever get 200 points in a season. But wow, I thought my prediction was going to be bold, but. You've taken it to another level. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very bold prediction. Yes. Maybe some people would say, you don't watch hockey. You don't know how this works. <laughs> but, you know, I believe that McDavid could reach a very high level now because he has done lots with uh, w- weaker rosters, you know, weaker well, teams. Well, 
We'll see what happens, but I believe he's going to score 43 goals. I'm going to say that. Wow, that's a lot of assists. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I got to do the, I got to get the calculator out here to do that. So (laughs) 192 and you said, you said he's going to get 43 goals. Yes. So you're talking about 149 assists, which would be the second most ever by a player behind Ole Gretzky. So, wow, you have, you've really set the bar high. Uh, Gabriel, can you top that? <laughs> uh, well, no. <laughs> to be honest, no. Without being bold, like, uh, if, I, if I would, like, top that, I would say, like, 200. But I you would just to... to the, the first right number that popped up on my mind, because, um, I don't know, I don't... Uh, I really, really... I'm really hoping that Diego is right, that he's even oh, yeah, marked one, one point more, one, 192, you said? 90, he, and yeah, he well, does 193, yeah. for example. 192. But 92. Then he does like one point more than 193. But I don't know, being like, talk, like uh, for sure, I... I kind of do like the the boring answer that I made the math that he had 1.88 points per game last 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 year. So I don't know, in 52 games he scored 105. Let's see if it was 82 if he keeps going. But I think he can beat like a 106 and 60 game uh, points as well. He can like reach 50 goals being bold here, being bolder than than Diego on the goals. He he can achieve that. I I would be surprised, but but I don't know. And I, of course, I think that he will he will earn he will go out with the Hart Trophy again, and with the Ted Lindsay, and with the Art Ross. If with that prediction, the no one that can reach it. But I don't know. I think he can he can score like uh, 160 points and like reach 50 goals in the in the process. Well, if he gets 160 points, that's almost two points per game. He, there would be no one else yeah. to vote for. He might be the unanimous MVP in back-to-back seasons if he did that. Um, I was just just uh, just trying to be bald as yeah. as, uh, as Diego was. Like my would answer like 150, 160, uh, yeah. 150. It's difficult. It's really really hard. It's really like um. Uh, uh, it's in the dreams field that Conrad David, but that if there is one player that can do it right now, it's it's him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. uh, sorry, go ahead. No, you you have to consider that we we have the best power play in the league. There will be yeah. lots of power plays. Yeah, uh, and okay. we have to consider the amount of time that McDavid and Drysaddle will be together. If they stick, if Tippett decides to keep this first pair, uh, this first line going together for a couple of games, on maybe until the the half of the season. Uh, we may witness some history because uh, I think it's really doable. Uh, <laughs> I believe I believe that Mac David can offer lots of assists because he really likes to give the puck here, uh, to Dry Zero. He knows, uh, and when he passes the puck to Dry Zero, we we have to expect something, and we we normally expect some goals, you know. Or, or even Puliyarvi. Puliyarvi has been a great shooter, so I I really believe this could happen. 
It, it's very bold, but who knows? <laughs> well, I and, really hope you're right, because if you're right, that probably means the Oilers had an amazing season if he gets 192 <laughs> points. Um, all I'll say is that, you know, McDavid has scored 40 goals in a season twice before. And last season, he would have been on pace for a career-high 48 goals in a normal 82-game season. So I'm going to say he scores 52 goals this year. And I have a feeling that I might be a little low on that by the time the season is actually over. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets closer to 60. Um, and then as for points... I think McDavid is going to have the best individual season in the salary cap era since 2005 and will record 154 points this season. And that would make him only the fourth player in NHL history to get 100 assists in a single season and only the sixth player to ever record 150 points in a single season. And the fact that the last player to get at least 150 points in one season was Mario Lemieux 26 years ago speaks to how special of a season, you know, we could be watching. I just think that last year he might've even got to 150 if it had been a, a regular uh, normal 82 game season. But now this year with the upgrades they've made up front and, and like you mentioned, how dangerous the power play is, let's, let's hope that he draws enough penalties so they can get more power play opportunities but this 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 guy like McDavid is in the absolute prime of his career right now. He's in his mid twenties. He's been the most dominant offensive player in the league since he was twenty years old, and now he he's just he's just continued to get better. Where there's no no one even close to him right now. So I think 150 points is very doable for him, and I wouldn't even be surprised if it's higher than that. But I'm going to stick with my prediction of 52 goals and 154 points. That's a very nice prediction, and I agree with you. It's doable. Uh, we have a solid team this year, so this could happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah and I, I think I. Oh, sorry. No, uh, go ahead. I think that uh, we have the best team that uh, I have ever seen, like since I I was started to watch hockey. Even that I started watching, like in the in the start of the in the 2010. That's like easy to beat. But like since uh, yeah. since 2006 that we went to the Stanley Cup Finals. I think it's the best team that we have. Well, and we play like with a lot of other weaker teams in the in this season. Uh, as last season, we played a lot of just the Canadian ones. And as Diego said, the power play is great. We have the, the best power play on, on the league, if I really think that. And it's difficult. It's really difficult, but it's pretty, it's doable. And if it, there is one guy that can do it, it's Conor McDavid right now. Oh, definitely. I, there's there's no one else who could put up these kind of numbers. I, I think that he is going to finish. I would say I wouldn't be surprised if he's 30 plus points ahead of the runner up in the Art Ross Trophy race this season. Um, and that the player who he finishes just in front of might be the next guy we're going to talk about, Leon Dreisaitl. Mm -hmm. Let's get some predictions for Dreisaitl now. Uh, Gabrielle, how many goals and points for Dreisaitl? Um, well, Dreisado, uh, uh, let me think. Uh, he had a great season. Uh, the last, the the last season was great for him. Um, I don't know if he can get to a hundred, but I, uh, I would say like to, to to be positive. Like here, if he he gets like a hundred and two points, to be yeah. to be honest, it's like it's less. He he recorded eighty four in just sixty two games. He can be 
pretty well. He has already four points in two games. But I don't know. He can he can pass 100 points like uh, without any doubt. But uh, I don't know. I expect him to to be a major role, uh, mostly on the on the assists. But but I really really think that uh, John Tricado can can record more than 100. To rephrase it like 110, to be honest, to change my mind. And how many goals? Mm, with 110, he would score. Let me think. 39. And just think about it. 39. Okay. And uh, Diego, what do you have for dry sidle? Oh, I will go a little bit different than my friend Gabriel. Uh, since the 18-19 season, uh, Leon Dreisaitl has scored like 100 points, you know? He had 105 in 18-19 yeah. season, and 19-20 season he had 110. So he has been trending up. And the last season he got 84 points in 53 games, so that's a lot. So I'm going to say that he he's going to score 118 points this year. And then he's going to score 55 goals. He, he had Yes. Yeah, he had uh 43 goals in 19-20 season. 31 last year, last last season, but he got 50 goals on 18-19 season. Right. So it's completely doable. 55 yeah, yeah. is not a a very bold <laughs> no, prediction I, like the previous one. So I totally <laughs> believe he can do that. And you have to remember, if, if Dreisaitl's playing a lot with McDavid and McDavid gets 192 points, oh, yeah. it's very likely that Dreisaitl... He might not be right there, but he would probably be in the 150 range if you if McDavid was going to get that high. Um, and like I said, I have McDavid at about 154 uh, for for dry or McDavid. Sorry, yeah, for dry sidle now. I'm going to say he does score 50 goals again, like he did in the 2018-19 season. I was actually there in Calgary the night that uh, Leon got his 50th goal, and that's a very bittersweet uh, game for me because. I did get to witness Dreisaitl score his 50th goal, which was a great moment. But later in that game, I also watched Connor McDavid suffer a devastating injury. So it kind of it kind of took some of the excitement away, or I should say, a lot of the excitement away from the accomplishment Dreisaitl had that night. Still, um, if you look at how he's produced over the past three years, like you like you said, Diego, he had 105 points in a full season in 2018-19. He was on pace for 127 points in 2019-20, and last season he was on pace for 123 points. So I think he's going to take his game up another level as well, and I have him finishing with, like I said, 50 goals again, and he's going to get 129 points. Just one under 130, but uh, even getting 129 will pass Nikita Kucherov, who currently has the the highest single season point total in the salary cap era. So I think McDavid and Dreisaitl are both going to eclipse that this year. But uh, obviously McDavid's in a different stratosphere, but Dreisaitl will get, like I said, 50 goals and 129 points. Okay, let's move on to Jesse Pugliarvi now. And he hasn't had any big offensive seasons in the NHL yet, but last year, obviously, he took a step forward as an offensive player. What are your predictions for him in terms of goals and points? Uh, we'll start with uh, Diego this time. 
Oh, oh. me? Yeah. Uh, I I was thinking here about Jesse Pugliarvi. He's been a tremendous player uh, so far, and he seems to reach another level this year. So I really like Jesse Pugliarvi. I believe he's going to score 72 points. That you could know. very well happen, especially if he's uh, stapled the McDavid for most of her the whole season. And goals for Pugliarvi? Goals, I'm going to say here that he's going to score 35 goals. That's very optimistic, but I think it could happen. Uh, he he has shoot the, the puck lots. Yeah. And I'm seeing here, I'm seeing Jesse as a shooter uh, recently, not, not as a passer. Uh, and he seems to to like to shoot the puck. So I'm going to say 35 goals if he has some power play time. This right. could really happen. I mean, good good predictions there too. I think that, like I said, if, if his line mate gets 150 points, it's not a stretch to think that Pugliarvi could get 70 or 75. Um, Gabrielle, what are your predictions for Pugliarvi this season? Oh, uh, yeah. When, when I had the, the Dreisaito prediction, I had like pretty low and I, I really really hoping that uh, he can he can suppress the I don't remember 110 that I, I that I said something like that but I thought I thought uh, that Pugliarvi is there that Pugliarvi will score a lot of points um, in the line as well it's not just Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl right now we have uh, Pugliarvi there to to score it, and I don't know I think he can he can be on pace like uh, one point a game or almost it like with um, I would say 80, 82 points I would say eighty but just to be to be exact he he can be on on pace to almost one point a game with eighty two points to be just to and make sorry, to make it sorry goals for Hyman sorry and goals for Hyman. Uh, for Hyman or Pulley oh, Sorry, not for Hyman. Sorry, for Pulley <laughs> No problem. Uh, if he had 82, I think I think that Pulley can can score more goals than, than Dreisaitl, for example. I can go with like 39, 40 to be exact. But then Dreisaitl would be. No, that would be really great. Uh, well, what I mean, I, has I, never even had 40 points in a season, let alone. Yeah, he had, had 20, he had, had, yeah, he had 25 points in last season. I have it here. But I really think that in the first line, he he's delivering it pretty well so far. And if he, keep, he keeps going, he can be, of course, McDavid and Dreisaitl are on another level, but Pugliarvi can be uh, really important. And as I said, in the first line and in the power play, can be important like he can reach McDavid for example and Dreisaitl who will score like a lot of assists like Dreisaitl is the, one of the best passers it's not the best one right now in the league but I really think that Pugliarvi this season we we're gonna we're gonna see a lot of yes Pugliarvi points in the in the scoreboard definitely I mean that line of McDavid Dreisaitl and Pugliarvi has 13 points combined through two games so the offense is definitely there for that group, and I expect them to have another big night against a, a weak team like the Anaheim Ducks tomorrow. Uh, let's move on to, I alluded to this a second ago, Zach Hyman got <laughs> mixed up there. Uh, Zach Hyman, uh, uh, Gabrielle, right back to you. Uh, goal, predictions, goals, and points for Hyman. Uh, I think for Zach Hyman, for Zach Hyman he can, I think he can score like... Um, 
72 points. No, less. 60, 66, to be honest. Okay. And for goals, for goals, he, he will not score 30, but 28. 28. And I'm just going to quickly go back for a second. I forgot to give my prediction for Pooley oh, yeah. uh, I'm I'm going to say that Jesse gets... Uh, I'll say he gets... 33 goals and 63 points. I think that he still needs to get the assist totals up a little bit, but that would still be a big offensive season for him. Uh, and now, uh, Diego, let's go to you for Hyman. For Hyman, oh, I I have some similar numbers, but just a little bit higher than Gabriel. I predict 78 points for Hyman. And I, I said... Well, that that's very bold from my from my point of view. But I said 34 goals for Zach Hyman because he's going to share most minutes of power play, and I think we're gonna have lots of power play time this year. So this could happen. He's getting used to our uh, power play system. So I truly believe that he could get 34 points, 34 goals. I'm sorry, Alex Jason had some seasons ago almost 20 goals on power play and we have a very big upgrade if we consider the players that Hyman is and Chason is. So I truly believe that our power play system can provide him lots of goals, easy goals too. So I'm gonna say 34 goals for Zach Hyman but that's kind of bold but we'll see. Funny enough, it's not it's even not impossible. As as, not as mm -hmm. not impossible. Not as bold as your prediction for McDavid, but I promise, yeah. if you end if you end up being right about that, I will give you a shout out on Twitter that you called it that he got <laughs> a, that he got 197 points because that I don't I don't think you'll find a bolder prediction out there unless someone thinks that he's going to keep up his current pace and get to 205 points, but uh, crazier things could have happened. Um, For Hyman, for me, uh, you know, he he averaged uh, 29 goals per 82 games last season. If you uh, if you look at his scoring rate over what would have been a full season, and uh, even though he's never scored more than 21 goals in in a single year before, I think that he is also going to get over 30 this year, especially if he ends up playing on McDavid's line when they um, if, if Tippett which I think he will put McDavid and Dreisaitl back on separate lines. So I'll say that Zach Hyman gets, I'll say 33 goals, or I think that's what I have for Pooley Arby, so I'm going to change it. I'll, I'll, have, I'll, have, I'll have 30, I'll say 33, or yeah, no, 34 goals for Hyman. And uh, I'll same say, as me. Yeah, and I'll say he gets, <laughs> I'll say he gets 70 points. This is if healthy. I I was going to go with the same total for Puliyarvi and Hyman, but I think that Hyman might score a little more just because I think he's going to be the first option as the net front presence on the power play. I, those guys could split time the same way James Neal and Alex Chason did the last couple of years, but I think that Hyman will play there a little more than Puliyarvi will, so there there might be a, an opportunity to get a little ahead of him anyway. And now we're going to go to Ryan Nugent Hopkins who uh, had a bit of a, a down year at, with his even strength scoring last year. He was still a decent power play performer, but I want to get your prediction for him now. How many goals and points 
for Pooley RV. Diego, you can go first. For Nuge? Yeah. Okay, for Ryan Nugent Hopkins, I expect him to score 60 points this year, and I would be fine with that because mm -hmm. I'm not expecting him to be a center for the remainder of the season. I really <coughs> hope he's going to spend lots of time on the wing. Now, maybe for a couple games he's going to center a line, uh, but as a winger, maybe he... He could score 60 points, and I, I, I'm not very optimistic about his goals, uh, so I'm going to say that he's going to score like 25 goals. That that would be good enough for me, you know. A 25 that would be right goals. around his average, yeah. Yes, and I, I, I'm sorry, I said 60 points. I confused. Uh, I would say he's going to score 65 points. Okay. Yeah, that, that's my prediction. Uh, it's not so different from what he has done in his career, like his pace. You know, he had the highest of 69 points in 18-19 season. So mm -hmm. I, I mean, think it's really possible with a better group that we have nowadays. For sure. And uh, Gabriel, let's go to you for new uh, I have the, I have the same opinion of Nugent Hopkins. It was like... Uh, in the 60s, as as Diego said, but to 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 say a number, I would say a little more, like 60, 68, to be honest. And with the goals, I'm not so optimistic about the goals as well. But I think he can score almost 30, like 28, for example. I think the most of the his points will be be out of access, and that can change. Like if, uh, for example, if Hyman goes to the first line, if Tippett decides. To go with it, and Dreisaitl goes to the second. I think that that Nugent Hopkins has um, has a better chance to to score more points, and just as Simon as well. To be honest, in the first line with McDavid and Puliyarvi, but I really think that Nugent will be will be great on the on the second line. Will score a lot of assists as well, but in the pace of 28 goals, I think, and the 68 points for sure. I I, I wrote an article the heavy hockey network recently about who would finish third in team scoring this year and i predicted nugent hopkins so i'll stick with that prediction i think he's going to get 73 points as i wrote in the article um i'll say he gets 28 goals he's he's been in that range before i think he can be there again and if he can be reunited with dry and yamamoto which is what i'm i'm hoping will happen i think that will really allow him to thrive offensively those have yeah. seemed to be the best the best wingers that he's played with since eberly and hall or at least maybe not the i, I shouldn't say the best because he's played with mcdavid but the best fit for his game and i just feel like he those three feed off each other so well so if he gets back with them, I think he could get back to around a 70 to 75 point pace. If he does settle into being a 65 point player, that's good production too. But I'm going to yeah. say 28 goals and 73 points for Nugent Hopkins. And finally, our last player prediction before we get into some team predictions is Darnell Nurse. Uh, Gabriel, how many points and uh, goals for Darnell Nurse this season? Um, let me think, Darnell Nurse, that's a tough one. Uh, Darnell Nurse, I think he can can score like <coughs> more than more than 30 points, I think, almost 40, to be honest. And not a lot of, a lot of goals, uh, for sure, more than assists, as, as usual for, for any player. 
but I think he can he's, he can score let me say a number uh, 30 36 points and for goals he can score 10 goals okay so a little down from his numbers last yeah, season yeah, yeah. And, and Diego what do you think well my numbers are a little bit different uh, I predict for Darnell Nurse as he is our best defenseman nowadays um, I'm gonna say that he's going to score 60 points this season he had 36 points and last last season right 36 points 36 and points in 56 games yeah yeah as in 56 games so 60 points is doable for in my opinion and I'm gonna say he's going to have the same number of goals as he had last year, 16 goals. That and I'm with you on that. It's he did have a great year where everything he was shooting was going in the net. Um, I don't know if he'd be able to do 16 goals in 56 games again, but I think in an 82 game season he can get 16 goals, which is still a very good total for a defenseman. So I'll say that he does replicate that and get 16 goals again. Um, and he was on pace for 52 points in an 82-game season. I'll say he bumps that up a little bit even, and he gets 58 points this year. So 16 goals and 58 points for Darnell Nurse. Yeah, that, that's kind of close, and it's doable. He, he has been a, a great defenseman, and he has this offense, offensive uh, feeling. No, he quarterbacks right. the power play sometimes, so this could happen. He could get lots of assists if he plays, if he gets some time with McDavid and tries settle on power play, or, or if he quarterbacks the power plays. So, yeah, it's, it's a very good number for a defenseman, like 60 points. That's a lot. Oh yeah, you know, it's it's a num it's a top two number for defensemen. So I believe he could he could get this quantity of points. Yeah, it's hard for any defenseman to get over the sixty point range. Only the the real elite guys get there. Um, let's go into the final two questions of the podcast. Now we're going to predict where the Oilers finish in the Pacific Division next. Uh, Gabrielle, what's what's your prediction? Where are the Oilers going to finish? Ah, I, I wish I could say first, but I really think we, uh, as a, a lot of people predict, that we'll finish second on the Pacific Division. Vegas was a nice. Uh, I think it's uh, it's on pace to finish first as well. He he almost went to the Stanley Cup last year. But I really think the Oilers can pretty comfortably uh, finish on the on the second spot in the division and fighting for the first one, uh, not letting the Vegas go in going far we can we can fight for the first place but uh i really think we'll finish second and diego where are the oilers gonna finish i think the Oilers the Oilers will win the pacific yeah so i'm trying to sound <laughs> bold again i'm sorry for that <laughs> that's not uh, as but, bold either <laughs> as the first one <laughs> but the point is that there, there is a reason for that you know marches salt is hurt mark stone is hurt they had a decree they had a a loss on the on the goal, so they lost Flurry to the Blackhawks. So I don't think Vegas Vegas is still a great team. Yeah, we, we can't deny that. But I don't think they're as good as they were the 
previous seasons. So we might be seeing uh, a weaker, maybe roster than the previous years. And if they have these problems with injuries, like with March Salt and Mark Stone, uh, they will have some some trouble. And I truly believe the Oilers could take some advantage of it and maybe win the division. So I'm very optimistic about this group. But I don't know, maybe if Vegas trades for a bigger name, like they've been in conversations to acquire Jack Eichel, uh, maybe things might change in their favor, but I don't believe they will be as good as they were last year or yeah. the previous year. So I believe the Orioles could win the Pacific Division. For sure. And, you know, when I look at the Vegas Golden Knights, they're very deep defensively. They've got good forward depth as well, but they're not overly strong down the middle. And you look at the Oilers with, if they ever decide to run McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins at center again, their center depth is as good as anyone in the league. Um, they've obviously improved their forward core as well. And while some people question the Oilers' defense, I think that the Oilers' goaltending could still hold up. And um, looking back at Vegas, Leonard's a good goalie as well. Uh, I don't know what they're going to get from him over a full season. I still think it would have been a better idea to hold on to Flurry. But looking at these two rosters together, I think they're the two best teams in the Pacific Division, but I don't think Vegas is that much better than the Oilers. If you remember back two years ago, the last time they played in the same division, Edmonton was in first place for 58 straight days yeah. before Vegas ultimately took it back and went mm -hmm. on to win the division. And even at the end, the Oilers only finished three points back of the Golden Knights. So I think these teams are very close. They're going to play for the first time this season on Friday night. Um, I have the Oilers winning the division this year, narrowly ahead of the, the Vegas Golden Knights. And it's, it's going to be a close race right to the end. But I, I believe that if the Oilers can even try and make an, uh, a trade at the deadline to upgrade the roster even a little more, we know Vegas is going to do that too. You mentioned Jack Eichel, although with his injury um, or the surgery that he needs, I don't know if he's even going to play this year, even if he gets it. But I would say that the Oilers are going to come away with the division title, their first regular season division title since 1987. Which is going to be awesome, by the way. Yeah, we're expecting greater things from this group. And I I agree with you. I don't think Vegas is this much stronger in the middle. Some right. some other uh, bloggers, they mentioned that the Oilers could have the second best center depth in the league. And I agree with them. You know, uh, yeah. we we have Trisaddle, Mac David, and Derek Ryan, which are good players. You know, which is a good player. I I mean, Derek Derek Ryan. So we could have a very deep center depth, and we could take advantage of that. If we compare with Vegas Golden Knights, I think our group, you know, the Oilers group, is so much better, you know, than the Vegas. Maybe we could not be as powerful as they are on the wings or on the defense. But if the team keeps playing very solid, they are very strong candidates to take over the Pacific Division and 
dethrone the Vegas Golden Knights. Why not? You know, they've been winning this division for a couple of years. Maybe it's our turn to take over this place. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, and, and, hopefully... and... Sorry, oh, go sorry. ahead. No, you uh, uh, I was just saying that uh, we have the longest drought on the winning the division on, mm. on the NHL, as you said, like, and it would be really, really great. And it's perfectly... I wouldn't be surprised if the Oilers win. I said that the Vegas would win the Pacific Division, but it's not impossible, not at all. Like we can, we can fight with Vegas with no problem for the first spot, and we can be like safely the, on the second if we, if Vegas beat us. And uh, and uh, when I said like uh, you're pretty optimistic, and maybe I give some some passive some uh, some predictions that it isn't as optimistic as yours. But I don't know, like we, when I started watching hockey, for example, I believe that Neil Yakupov would be the, the next greatest thing in the 10th. Right. The and then like with the, this last decade, uh, it's hard to be optimistic, but it's really great that we are, we are on pace to, to suppress that, to pass the, this whole time and to be back where, where the Edmonton Warriors belong. And well, when, when you finish at the bottom of the league for so many years, that's when yeah, you have- you know, that's where you get guys like Darnell Miller, seventh overall, Leon Dreisaitl, third yeah. overall, McDavid, first overall, Pooley-Arvey, fourth overall. Getting, you know, those four players who we've talked a lot about tonight, that's really like the core of the team right now, along with someone like Nugent Hopkins. And, and when you're able to put that strong of a group together, you just have to fill in the, su- the supporting cast around them, and you have the, the potential to be a Stanley Cup contender. And that's what I want to talk to you about next. The final question of the podcast how far will the Oilers go in the playoffs this year? Gabrielle, you take it away. Uh, we can fit, we can we can be on the on the conference finals to be honest. We can reach there. Uh, when I think we have uh, a better group than we had in 2016 when they lost to the Ducks and it was for little details that we didn't pass the Ducks. It was pretty uh it, it wasn't it wasn't like uh, an impossible thing to do in conference finals um we can we can dream we can dream like as i said it's it's, it's hard to dream when we have the the playoff retrospect of the chicago Blackhawks and the winnipeg jets of last season and i don't i don't want to even start talking about it but i really think that we can go we can go far away and we can reach like the the conference finals and diego how about you I'm I'm with Gabriel on this one. I believe we could reach the conference finals to to maybe compete for the Stanley Cup, maybe. But you know, on playoffs, anything can happen. You know, uh, we we saw Montreal last year. Nobody was expecting. They were a dark horse, and they they went to the finals against a powerhouse Tampa Bay. Uh, I truly believe we could reach the conference finals. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be our year, but uh, the Oilers, the Oilers, they will win some rounds. You know, uh, I, I just, I just get kind of impressed because lots of uh, hockey experts are pointing the Oilers to finish like in twenty-second place overall. <laughs> You know, uh, Kraken I mean, would be ahead of the Oilers. Even Calgary and Vancouver 
the Jets, I, I could accept, but I, I don't know. Maybe they're not trusting our defense. If things go well, if Duncan Keith raises yeah. the bar during the playoffs and our defense plays more solid and steady, I, I truly believe we could reach the conference finals. Uh, I just don't like these predictions, power rankings that some websites have done and they they are not optimistic about the Oilers, but we'll see, you know? I think there's just as many people out there who are optimistic about the Oilers as maybe some who aren't. And uh, yeah, the, the, the defense is probably one of the bigger areas of concern that uh, people, especially outside of Edmonton, have. But through two games, they've looked pretty good. Now it's just two out of 82 but uh, so far, so good, and you know we'll reevaluate in a few months and see if uh, if the defense is is still uh, up to par. Um, I'll give my prediction. The, the, we I have the exact same as both of you. I think the Oilers are going to go to the Western Conference Final uh, as the first place seed in the Pacific Division. They'll probably run into either the Flames or the Canucks in fourth place. So I think that they'd be able to dispatch either one of them, and then yeah. you would face very likely the Vegas Golden Knights in the second round of the playoffs. And if the Oilers can pull out a series win there and eliminate Vegas, that would send them to the Western Conference Final where they will very likely play a team like, I would guess, the Colorado Avalanche. I was going to say the same. (laughs) I I don't know if the Oilers are ready to beat the Avalanche yet, so I will say that the Oilers make it to the Conference Final this year. It's not maybe quite their time to win a Stanley Cup yet, but they're headed in the right direction. So I'll say that they they end up losing to uh, the, the Avs in the Conference Final. Uh, and as Diego said, like nobody expected the Montreal Canadiens to to reach the Stanley Cup Finals, and they were there. And dating back to, to 2006, like um, I don't know, we can compare the two rosters. Just thinking about the others, not about the other the other NHL teams. And it was like one win away for two yeah. win it all. So. We can it dream. Is, we can it, dream. It, it, it was a little different. If okay, yeah. watching that 0506 team, the Oilers had a guy like Chris Pronger, yeah, uh, yeah, an yeah. all-time great defenseman. Darnell Nurse plays a similar game to Chris Pronger, but he's not on the same level as Pronger. Yeah, I don't. I, I really don't think the, right. uh, we the, we have a a better team than 2005 and six. No, but, I think they are better. That's uh, what I'm saying. I, now I I look at a guy like Dwayne Rollison who. Dwayne Rollison got hot at the right time, and his—I mean—he backstopped the Oilers to the final. Unfortunately, he got hurt in Game One and didn't get yeah. to play the rest of the series. But those two players, especially, and then with a, uh, a bottom six player like Pisani, who stepped up and had the best two months of his NHL career in the playoffs, yeah. scoring goals left and right. I think maybe. You could argue that the the def like the defense was probably better than the Oilers' current defense, and the goal yeah, the goaltending might have been better too, just depending on you know how how hot Rollison was at the right time. But I think this forward group is better than the forward group that than the Oilers had in two thousand five two thousand six. Yeah, what, what gives me like the doubt was the defense. Right, we have nothing. We had like uh, Pizani, as I said, and Ryan Smith, Alex Hensky as well. But right now we have McDavid, Drysaddle. Really think it's great. What holds me in the in the prediction is really the defense. But yeah. if Keith and Sissi, for example, he they keep playing great and and uh, Darnell Nurse do what he he knows what and Tyson Berry. 
can improve and of course Mike Smith uh, can can keep mm-hmm. going with the, the same way um, it's not impossible it's not impossible with the 2016 it was just one win away we can we can do it's difficult I I still I still keep with my conference uh, Western Conference Finals but it's not impossible we can and Finally, I think we that, can we can dream. Yeah, and and even getting to the conference final would be a big accomplishment for this team. I mean, yeah. think about how excited the fans in Edmonton would be to see their team go on a deep playoff run for the first time since 2006. They were one win away in 2017 from getting to the Western Conference Final, where they would have played the Nashville Predators. And then once again, anything can happen. But yeah. this team is headed in the right direction, and if they can just get over that that playoff hump that they haven't been able to the last two years and 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 win around and then of course you get to the second round and see you, you get an even tougher opponent like i said probably vegas that's where you know that's where you're gonna have to pull out the the best win of your of your career to this point to get there and i think that the way that mcdavid and dry are so motivated and focused right now after those two playoff disappointments that this this could be the year that they they do that and get to the third round Absolutely, I totally agree. I just would like to mention that if if we see uh, the Oilers facing the Avalanche, mm-hmm. the Avs, I would love to see McKinnon go for a cup because he's a phenomenal player as well, and this could be a great match to happen it, with. Two it would of be the great for the NHL. Players. I think yes. the NHL would love to promote that because a lot of people still believe that Nathan McKinnon is the second best player in the NHL. I have him as third. I think Drysaddle's the second best player in the NHL. But to have McDavid and McKinnon, um, the two biggest Canadian stars anyway, going head to head, that would be a, a, a huge draw, not only here in Canada, but in the United States as well. Oh, that would be a great story. And what if the Oilers try to do something different? In- and try to acquire John Gibson. Maybe if <laughs> Anaheim is out of place, they, he could be yeah. our Dwayne Rolison. Right, that's been mentioned. <laughs> I think I think everyone's ta- been hearing that rumor for a while now, and maybe that happens, and then Mike Smith becomes the backup. I I think that the the asking price for John Gibson will be a lot. You know, I think it's probably going to be. I, I think ideally they would they would probably ask for the first round pick in Dylan Holloway or the first round pick in Philip Broberg. I would be more comfortable doing the first round pick and Sam Rukov in a trade for Gibson. But um and and I think he's playing the Flames tonight. So the Oilers won't see him tomorrow night when the Ducks are in town. They'll probably be facing the backup Anthony Stolars, but uh former Oiler Anthony Stolars, I should say that too, although he barely played here. Um, but still, yeah, I, I think that that's going to be the Oilers' target at the deadline. If there was one position that they would load up for, I mean, of course, it'd be great. You always want to add another goal scorer, add another defenseman. But if you can pick up a, a franchise-type goaltender, that could be really be what pushes the Oilers over the edge. Because you see how the Oil or the Avalanche did that with Darcy Kemper last summer. They're really going for it now, and I think that could force the Oilers to go for it as well. Exactly. Or maybe we could believe in trusting one of the uh, one of our goalies, like Stuart Skinner yeah. has been very solid, and he had a shootout yesterday, I, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. And he has played a few games in the NHL. Maybe he could be more comfortable with the NHL game and 
maybe he could be one of our Jordan Bennington. <laughs> right. No, I, 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 obviously you'd love to have something like that happen where you call up a goalie from the minors halfway through the season and he leads you to the Stanley Cup. I think it's more likely that Skinner becomes the backup goalie next season because as of next year, they won't be able to send him back to the minors anymore without him having to clear waivers. So basically, yeah. you have to make a decision on Skinner by next season. He's either he's either on your team as the backup goalie or you've decided to move on from him and have him be uh, a guy that you were willing to risk losing for nothing on, on waivers. So I, I would expect that if he has another big year in the AHL, that he will be an oiler next year. Okay, guys. Well, I really appreciate you being on the podcast tonight. That was a lot of fun chatting with you both again. Um, just before we go, can you let everyone know where they can follow you on Twitter? Um, for me, we can uh, you can find on the Edmonton Oilers Brazil. That is uh, EDM Oilers BR. Just type in there and I'll be there. And of course, uh, just to finish uh, that you said that uh, Stuart Skinner would be great or, or Jordan, Jordan Binnington. And it, it would be nice, like uh, having a journal Benito, having a good catchy song for the win. Uh, the the end of the story is is pretty great. It's pretty great if you if you can follow the steps of the St. Louis Blues on on this year on the Absolutely. year. But but that's it. So we we can follow uh, you can follow the the Oilers coverage in in Portuguese as well. Uh, if you wanna see like some. Um, some coverage a little bit different as you're, you're using, you can follow on Twitter, EDM Oilers BR. And I always follow you as well. I, I do have to translate some of your tweets or all of your tweets. <laughs> but uh, then once I, once I translate them, I'm like, okay, I agree with that point. Usually. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you, if you disagree, you can. You can say it in Portuguese, in English, you can yeah, third language. Yeah. If you know, we can, we can work with it. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, Diego, where can they find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter. It's just typing Diego Pontes and you will see my profile picture. It's pretty easy. You know, so my email would be a little bit harder to find. So <laughs> if you type there, you will find me. It's a pretty easy picture, you know, so you will see me there and we can talk. We can discuss about hockey. So my Twitter account is to talk basically about the hockey and the Oilers, especially, you know. Definitely. That's it. And you guys yeah. are two of the most knowledgeable Oilers fans I know, and you provided great insight on the team tonight. I want to thank you so much for being on the show, and we should definitely do this again at some point during the season. Well, thank, thank you, Eric. It was like a, it was last time, and this time it was a pleasure to talk with you. It was a pleasure to finally speak with Diego. Uh, like we, mm -hmm. should, we, we really should do it uh, more often and talk about it. And... Definitely, definitely. And anytime you want, anytime you want to talk, and it's always, always a pleasure to talk about hockey, talk about riders, and talk about and talk with you guys. Thanks well, again. I share the same feeling, uh, Eric. Thanks again for having me. It was such a fun moment. Uh, was a pleasure to discuss, to talk hockey, you know. And I appreciate your respect and consideration for us, Oilers fans from Brazil. So we appreciate mm -hmm. lots uh, your your love for us. Let's say that <laughs> this way, you know. Oh. And without a doubt. And, yes, we. I would. I would also like to thank you, uh, thank Gabriel. 
It's our first time here talking together. And I yeah. agree with him. We should do that more often. Uh, we, we're always talking, discussing about hockey on our group here that we have. Yeah. But it is always great to talk and discuss. So it was such a pleasure and, and it was really fun. So thank you, Eric, once again. Thank you, Gabriel, for having mm -hmm. me on this show. For sure. And, you know, even though the Oilers aren't um, as big of a team name as, say, the Chicago Blackhawks or the Montreal Canadiens or the Toronto Maple Leafs, there are Oilers fans all over the world. I know Oilers fans in Norway, Sweden, Finland, Germany, England, uh, of course, tons here in Canada, but the United States, Australia, now in Brazil. It's just, it's remarkable to me that this small market team in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada could have such a following all over the world. No, that's that's great to, the, to see that the Oilers are just here in Brazil, like in the whole world. Like a lot of a lot of it is like a, the, uh, a Gretzky heritage for sure, and it was a tough decade for the team to to grab some some followers. But it's good to we own to Gretzky, we own now mostly to Conor McDavid. It's mm -hmm. uh, sure, but it's good. It's good to see because uh, Edmonton has a pretty nice fan base that I that I met just virtually far by now but like uh, the team the team deserves the crowd that that it has and the team deserves to be where he never had been left that is the 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 top spots on the league Definitely. that's right and that that's the reason why I said in the beginning of this podcast that we have one of the most passionate fan bases in the NHL it was because of that that I became a huge fan of hockey and a huge Oilers fans as well. So I hope I can pass them to other people, other students. I'm a teacher, so I like to dress my jersey sometimes and go to classes <laughs> like this. You know, so I took a picture a few weeks ago and they students laughed. Oh my gosh, what team is that? And I said, okay, it's a hockey team that had the best hockey player in the world. So you should know more about hockey. They get really curious about it. And it's nice to be spreading the word, like spreading uh, some news about the Oilers, uh, speaking about my passion, my love for the game, especially for this team. So I really appreciate every Oilers fan. And I appreciate uh, this uh, big community that we have worldwide. Definitely. All right, guys, have a good night, and I will look forward to talking to you again. Thank you once again. Have a good night. And thank, and thank you, Eric, and have a good night, and let's go, Oilers. Let's go, Oilers. So for Gabriel Cangido and Diego Pontes, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.